God, I thank you for your word that it's like a double-edged sword. I pray that you'd cut to the marrow of our being, that you speak to our hearts, that you not just encourage us, but I pray for, for shift now in Jesus' name, that some things would begin to shift in the lives of those in attendance tonight, that God, whatever needs to happen, that you would bring the fire, God. God, I thank you for those who have been in kind of a limbo, and uh, they've They've been in a little bit of a limbo, Lord. I just pray that this would be a season where they get unstuck in Jesus' name. God, and I thank you that the fire has come to release us. God, let this word encourage you. Encourage us. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little distracted. Let the word encourage us in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them tongues, divide, divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygra, and that place, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Serene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Our last verse, verse 11. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Last verse. Others mocking, saying they are full of new wine. You can be seated. I want to talk to you for a few moments from the subject. The wait is over. The wait is over. Christina, I came to preach tonight. The wait is over. I want to talk to frustrated people tonight. And I'll find where my help is tonight. But I want to talk to people who are frustrated because things are not exactly bad, but they're not exactly good. I want to talk to folks who say things are not going horribly, but they're not going great either. I want to talk to folks who are stuck right in the middle where the business isn't failing, but it's not really making money like it should quite yet. I want to talk to the people who say, I'm not sick in my body, but my body doesn't feel like I want it to feel. I want to talk to the people who feel like they are in a waiting pattern and you find yourself where the Holy Spirit has called you to wait. And here's what makes it worse. You don't know what you're waiting for. I'm going to preach until I find my help. Um, Jesus is talking to 300 plus people and he tells them, I want you to wait until Jerusalem until the falling of the Holy Spirit comes because he says to them, I must go so that the comforter can come. He says, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm going to leave you with a comforter. This isn't my message, but let me give you this as a parenthetical preach. Why would Jesus call the Holy Spirit a comforter unless you're supposed to live a lifestyle of discomfort? 
All right, I'm going I'm, I'm to find it real quick. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is initially for us called the comforter because we are supposed to live a life that is uncomfortable. If you are living a life that's comfortable, you are living a life that is not dependent on the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes not just to give you chill bumps. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to give you just uh, hair standing up on the back of your neck. He doesn't come just to make you fall over, to give you prophecy. The Holy Spirit comes to comfort those who are living for Jesus. The primary reason, if you're taking notes for pneumatology or the study of the Holy Spirit, the primary reason for the moving of the Holy Spirit uh, is, is to continue the earthly work of Jesus. Understand that just because Jesus is just because Jesus isn't here doesn't mean that Jesus's work on the earth has stopped. How do I know? Because he says, I've hit my spirit in you. And the Bible says this, the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead now quickens our mortal body. This is why Jesus would say things like greater works than me. Would you do? He was saying with the endowment of the Holy Spirit, I can leave this earth without leaving this earth. Come here. Let me talk to you. He said, I'm going to a place where I'm going to prepare a mansion for you because after you have done your good service and he says to you like the way my grandmother likes her steak well done he says good and faithful servant you're going to enter into your eternal rest but you will not rest while you're here on earth but I will send a comforter that will empower you to do the work of the ministry but here is the issue Jesus dies and he resurrects on Sunday morning and then he has a conversation and tells them to wait but he doesn't tell them how long to wait he doesn't tell them what they're waiting for all he says is that it's the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the Holy Spirit? And we realize that the idea of the Holy Spirit is a new concept for many people because even Paul would come to a group of people and say, have you not yet received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. So they're waiting and they have no idea. Who am I talking to that says, God has me waiting, but I don't even know what I'm waiting for. I just feel stuck. And I know I'm not stuck because I'm making progress, but I still feel like I don't know where I'm going. I feel like I've got a new job coming around the corner, but I don't feel a release from this job. I feel like this is the end of this relationship and the beginning of a new one, but I don't know what's next. Do I have anybody who has ever had Jesus tell you to wait? Now, waiting is not easy, especially when Jesus tells you to wait. If you hang around me long enough, you'll realize that I am not grace for patience, that I know you've got it all together and you've got all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues more than us all and you're patient, you're kind, you've got it perfectly together, but I'm still struggling with my patience. Whenever I pray for patience, I ask God to give it to me quickly. But it takes courage, and to wait on the Lord. This is why the Bible says, wait and be of good courage. Why would it say that? Anybody who has ever had to wait on the Lord realizes that you've got to be courageous in waiting. Because have you ever had to wait and have no explanation for the season that you're in? Have you ever had to wait and not understand? People are looking at you and going, why is your life on pause? And you're saying, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know why things aren't growing. I don't know why things aren't being birthed. I don't know why things aren't happening. All I know is that I've been told to wait. And the disciples are sitting there waiting. Let me stop for a second because only 120 Shawana make it to the upper room, but 300 were invited. What makes waiting worse is that God has you waiting while other folks are busy. Okay, I'm the only one. Um, I know you've never compared your blessing with somebody else's blessing, but I'm sitting here going, God, I know I look good. I know the eyebrows are on fleek, the lace front is straight up, and I know it's looking good, and I don't understand why he has me in a season called singleness, and I'm waiting for my next relationship when I'm watching Sister Watermelon on her third husband. 
<laughs> okay, I got the right church. I saw you smirk at me. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm sitting here going, God, when is it my turn? And I can imagine the 120 making it to the upper room, wondering what happened to the other folks that were invited. But the question becomes, will you walk alone with God when he calls you to a other place that other people don't want to go? Will you decide to obey God when the crowd is unwilling to follow you? See, most people won't worship unless everybody else is worshiping. Most people won't evangelize unless other people are evangelizing. Most people won't do what God's called them to do unless other people are doing it with them. But here's a set of people, 120 people, that had the same call as the 300, but they show up and they are waiting and they don't know what they're waiting for. As a matter of fact, to make things worse, uh, their lives are on the line. Uh, There's warrants out for them. Uh, You remember we preached the other week that Paul would go from house to house pulling out Christians from their houses and killing them right there until the Lord would save them. And so they're not just hiding, uh, but they're waiting. And and here's the thing about waiting. Uh, Have you ever had God cause you to wait in the dark? I say that because I've gone to the upper room, and when you go to the upper room or one of the places that they assume the upper room to be, there are no windows in the upper room, at least the one that I saw. There are two doors, and there are no windows, and so it's a dark place unless you light a candle. First step, in case you're taking notes, here's the first step to receiving the breakthrough that God wants to bring you in your life. Here's the first step. You've got to learn how to go up. Where did you get that, Pastor Dell? I've been to Israel. There's a lot of homes on the bottom. There's a lot of homes down south, but they decided to go to an upper room. That's relevant because God didn't tell them where to wait in terms of exact location they decided on their own we ought to go up the best thing that you could do when you have no clue what God is doing in your life and you don't know where to turn and you don't know where your next step is is just to go up not to vent to your friend not to call somebody and tell them everything that's going wrong sometimes you've got to learn how to go up somebody say up somebody say up They go up and the Bible says in Acts chapter one, if we back up just a little bit, that they are praying and they're seeking the Lord. And in their waiting, Peter begins to make a premature decision. Now, I know you like to beat Peter up and preachers like to beat Peter up, but I get it. And why Peter makes a premature decision, because whenever you're choosing to wait on the Lord, but that weight becomes weak, you'll make premature decisions that will mess up your life. Okay, you don't believe me? If Abram and Sarah were here, they would say they had a promise from the Lord, except for Sarah was 80 years old and her womb was closed. Abram was about 100 years old. And because there's kids, let me find a safe way to say this. Um, He was dried up. I'll let you interpret that on the way home. Amen and hallelujah. Uh, And yet God promises them that you will have a child. When he promises them they will have a child, he then tells them to wait on the promise. Now remember, it takes courage to wait on the Lord because if you do not place courage in your weight, you will prematurely move and mess things up. They prematurely move in their weight and they have a girl named Hagar and they call Hagar, the servant girl, to have sex with Abram. They end up having a child and it's not the child that God ever wanted to honor in terms of Abram's bloodline. And as a matter of fact, and I'm not going to go too hard on this because I'm going to preach this in a couple of weeks, talking about Hagar's baby, because now Hagar is a victim of Sarah and Abraham's premature decision. I wonder what you're doing while you're waiting. That's a little premature. Because you're nervous that whether God will show up or not. 
So you've got to be careful in the weight that you do not make premature decisions. And where are you getting this from? Because when you read the book of Acts, the first chapter, the Bible says that they recognized that Judas was no longer a part of their discipleship and apostleship. And so Peter steps up and says, I think we ought to vote somebody else in. God never told them to vote a 12th person in because God had in his line a man named Saul who was going to turn into Paul and he would be the 12th apostle in the fixation of history. And they, they, here's what they do. They throw Lots. Now, you don't know what lots are, but some of y'all are from the hood, and you'll get this. They uh, kind of crapshoot. Okay, I see a few more people that are with me. Now, they, they kind of crapshoot, and, and it lands on snake eyes, and they decide, oh, then Matthias is the one who should be the 12th apostle. Here's the problem. I love history. I love revival history. I love Bible history. As I'm reading Bible history and I'm reading church history, you never hear anything else about Matthias. That's very strange because anybody else who is an apostle, you hear something about them. Even if you don't hear much about them in the scripture, you can research about them in church history and still find that there's much to be said about them, but not Matthias. Matthias's life seems to almost be irrelevant in the history of the church because Peter was premature in his decision. What do you do when you're in leadership and God tells you to wait? You've got to be careful in making premature decisions because you will mark the destiny wrongly of somebody that's under you if you don't wait on God to push you and your good ideas push you. See, here's the, the enemy of the Holy Spirit. The enemy of the Holy Spirit is not the devil. The enemy of the Holy Spirit is not a demon uh, because the Holy Spirit's been whooping demons for over 2,000 years. He ain't scared of no demons. Uh, the enemy of the Holy Spirit is your logic. Because you can't see a move of God because it has to make sense to you. But here's the thing about faith, that faith does not explain, it only experiences. If I were sitting where you are, I'd be amen and a whole lot louder than you are right now. Watch this. The Bible says that he makes this premature decision. Matthias becomes the 12th apostle. And after becoming the 12th apostle, we jump over to Acts chapter 2, and they're still waiting. And finally, here's the Bible, and some of y'all are going to get mad at me right now, but you're already mad at me. So let me just uh, help nail the uh, coffin close. Watch this. The Bible says that they were, watch this, two things, all in one place. <laughs> in one accord. Two things that start off this upper room experience. They are in how many places? They are in one place and they are in how many accords? Uh, the, now accord is not a car and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, but they're in one place and they're in one accord. Now you're gonna get mad at me because you uh, think that you can encounter God anywhere at any time all the time because God is everywhere. And I understand theologically that God is everywhere all the time. He is omnipresent. Hey. But what COVID has done is that it's messed up the body of Christ to disconnect them from the gathering of the believers. Oh, okay. Come on, unclench your butt cheeks so I could go a little farther right here. Um, th th you've got to be careful um, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some things that you can receive on YouTube. There's some things that you can receive online. There's some things that you can receive on Zoom. But there's some things you've got to be in the room for. Yeah, I know we don't like this because we want to believe that God can touch you anywhere at all times. And yes, that is absolutely true because he tells a centurion soldier that all you have to do is send your word. But the primary thing that we see in the New Testament scripture is that you had to be in the room. Jairus's daughter got healed because she was in the room. You've got to be in the room. As a matter of fact, on the way to Jairus's house, there is a crowd surrounding Jesus and a woman with the issue of blood comes out of her isolated despair just to be in the same place 
place as where Jesus is. And there are some blessings that you only get when you're in the room. I know I don't need to go to church every Sunday and it don't take all that and I don't need all that and whatever. And that's why you're missing out on the breakthrough and the next level that God has for you. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to manipulate you because I'm a preach whether four people show up or whether a hundred people show up. I'm a lead worship whether two people would sing with me or nobody sings with me. But I'm trying to get you to understand that there are some blessings that you've got to be in the room for. Yeah, this is why he says uh, when you come together in unity, that's why I command the blessing. Do you know what it means when God commands a thing? That means everything has got to come in order. Command is an army language. It's, it's an army term. It means that he's giving instructions, and what he gives instructions to has to come in alignment. And here's the first strike against many of us in the body of Christ. We are too spiritually and physically apathetic to press into the room. Now, I grew up old school. I grew up old school. You didn't just get to miss church because you were tired. Let me, look, let me look at everybody so nobody gets offended that I'm just talking about them and just, okay, let me cross my T's and dot my I's. Um, um, and we, because church was not just about singing some songs and hearing a message, it was about encountering God. But see, I saw something in the old church aunt that I don't see in the church today. Because there's a difference in desperation between the old school and the new school. See, the new school got great lights, but no power. I'm going to preach because I feel my old help coming back, Shawana. And so, um, see, the new school, they've got great songs and wonderful melodies, uh, but they don't have any power. I mean, you pray for a headache and it turns into a migraine. See, I grew up in the old school church, Darissa, and I know you did too, where the drunkard would walk in and get to the altar and walk out sober, where the folks who were walking in with their marriage on the rocks would walk out with their marriage healed and solidified. I came from the old school where you couldn't walk in bound and walk out bound. You couldn't walk in sick and walk out sick if you were going to walk into the presence of God. But why? It was because we were all in one place. Now, here's the second part, because it's not enough just to be in one place. Now, if I didn't make you mad with the last point, I'm going to make you mad with this one. Because some of you come to church and you refuse to be in unity with the atmosphere of the spirit that's moving. And you can't understand why you can't get the breakthrough God wants you to. I hear you. Come here. Uh, well, the Bible says where uh, two or three are gathered in his name. He says there, that's where I will be in the midst. So, Pastor Dell, you know, you know, it's just two or three. All we got to do is just get together in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not the smartest person, aunt. Don't say amen. Um, but I did take AP English. And in AP English, they taught me that in, the word N-I-N is a prepositional phrase. It, it denotes location. That when you say something is in something, it speaks of its location. So when he says to you that two or three who are gathered in my name, see, we treat in Jesus' name as, it's, as if it's an addendum to an end of a prayer, like an open sesame. Like you pray something and just slap on in Jesus' name. But what he's saying there is the same thing he said in Proverbs, where he said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run therein. And that's where they are safe. The word in, when we talk about in Jesus' name, we're talking about location. He's saying when you gather together, don't just gather together. Because gathering together socially is fine. It's great to gather socially. But there ought to be some moments where you're not gathering in the name of Memorial Day. You're not gathering in the name of fellowship. But you're gathering in Jesus' name. Why? Because whatever you ask for in my name, that's where I will provide it for you. And here is the problem with many of us in the body of Christ. When we come to church, we come in the name of religion. We come in the name of tradition. 
We come in the name of I got a cute outfit and I don't go to the club no more, so I need somebody to see this, so I'm going to show up on Sunday. We come in the name of so many different things. We, the Bible does not say, come into my presence with your bad attitude. Amen, Pastor Dell. Appreciate it, brother, making me work hard today in this Presbyterian church. The Bible requires, according to Acts chapter 2, that you not just be in the same place, but you learn how to be in unity. See, okay, some of y'all are going to get mad because the reason you can't get in unity is because you refuse to forgive. You refuse to repent. You refuse to live right. And so you come in and you don't like sister so-and-so and and you can't stand brother so-and-so and and you're sitting here judging the music and you can't understand why everybody is bucking and crying and all that stuff. It's because we're in the unity of the spirit. See, it was not enough in Acts chapter 2 that they were in the same place. They had to be in the unity of the spirit. Here's the thing about unity. Unity, uh, Eric, is different than uniformity. God doesn't need us to sound and look and be the same. He needs us to come together in unity. All right, let me help you understand this. We got some married couples here, so they'll understand this better than I do. The Bible says that when two come together, they will not make four. They won't make five. They won't make six, seven, or eight. When two come together, they will make one. What God is telling us there is that when you come together, you've got to come in together in unity. And what unity does is it takes 20 people and makes them one. It takes two people in marriage and it makes them one. Here's the struggle. When you're pressing for uniformity instead of unity, you'll judge the brother who has a gentle worship because he's not shouting as loud as you are. All right, for the ones who come from a Baptist background, you'll judge the loud Pentecostal ones because that's too loud, it's too obnoxious, and it's distracting, and, and you're waiting for everybody to worship like you. Am I talking or am I, is this making sense or no? All right, because y'all are looking at me like, all right. Um, and so when, when we come into unity, what we're saying is that two have to become one. Have you ever tried to make two things one? Um, it requires conflict. It requires agitation. This is why God said don't even come into worship until you take care of your business. Y'all forgot about that scripture? See, we read a psalm a day just to keep our emotions up together, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you're not even allowed to worship until you get it right with your brother or sister. You're not allowed to worship until you get it right with the Lord. He tells you to leave your gift at the altar so that, why? Because it's important to God, not that I just get worship in a corporate environment. I've got to have unified worship. You know why we don't see breakthrough as much as we see breakthrough? It's not because we don't have worshipers. It's because we don't have unified worship. We've got somebody who's focused on their food after service, somebody who's focused on their kids, somebody who's focused on all kinds of things. But what God is requiring in the season, especially in our house, he's requiring that we unify and become one in the spirit so that we can see breakthrough. The first two steps are they're in the same place with the same heart and the same spirit. They're in one accord. After they're in one accord, here's what the Bible says. It says that they hear a sound like a mighty rushing wind. If you read quickly you'll see the wrong thing happening. It doesn't say that there was a wind. (laughs) I preached this message this morning uh, with four people in the room, uh, and we got real real excited. Uh, Maybe this five o'clock hour has got us a little tired. Let me me try this one more time. Um, Darissa, you can almost miss it because it doesn't say there was a wind. 
it says that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Why is that important? The word wind there is the word ruach. It's the same word used for when God created Adam and Eve and he ruach or breathed life into them. They were formed, but they were lifeless. Why is this important? Because on the day of Pentecost, the church is formed, 120, but it doesn't yet have life. That is so, watch this. So he sends, watch, he doesn't send a wind. He sends the sound of wind. Now here's the deal. I preached in the Midwest, and one time I was preaching in the Midwest. Now, I like California issues. I'm used to California issues. I'm used to California racism. I'm used to California demons. I don't like them other demons and racism other places. It's just, it's a little too wild for me. But I like our earthquakes. I wish we didn't have them, but I can endure our earthquakes. I know what to do. Hide under a table in the middle of the door, whatever it is. But I got over to the Midwest, and they, I I heard a wind. And I said, "Uh, what's that? They said, if it gets a little stronger, um, we might have to get in the shelter. Hold up. Come here. Question. Um, what you mean? He says, uh, if the wind gets loud enough, it's a sign to us that there's a tornado that's coming. Some of you are going to catch me in the spirit in just a moment. Here's what God sends in Acts chapter 2. He sends a wind because a wind is a warning that something's coming. But here's the thing about wind. You can hear it, but you cannot see it. Stick with me. Faith comes by. Come on, talk to me. Faith comes by and hearing by the word of the Lord. But have you realized that God will cause you to hear it before you see it? Now, they're about to hear something, they're about to see something, and they're about to say something. But the first step is that they hear something. And the frustrating thing about waiting on God is that he'll start speaking to you, and you'll hear it before you're able to see it. And it's frustrating because he keeps telling me, I'm going to be the head, but I feel like the tail. He keeps telling me, Nate, I'm going to be above, but I feel like I'm beneath. He keeps telling me that I'm going to be a lender to nations, but I feel like a borrower. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've walked into some meetings where I've said, Lord, I'm going to give this preacher the don't get me a prophecy face because I'm tired of hearing about stuff that I can't even see. Don't prophesy over me. Keep your oil to yourself. Lay hands on your mama. I'm tired. I don't want another word because I'm tired of hearing without seeing. But I got good news that the wind is getting ready to blow again. Some of you have gotten tired and you've grown weary and well-doing, but God told me to tell you and prophesy that your second wind is coming and your wind is a sound that something greater is coming. And I know it feels like you have been in a low place. I know it feels like you have been stuck. I know it feels like you have been waiting, but the wind is a sound that something greater. Touch your neighbor and say, I hear the wind. Sorry, I almost got Pentecostal for a moment. Uh, after hearing the sound of wind, they then see tongues of fire. Um, here's the crazy thing. There's 120 people. They see one tongue, but then it says it's divided. When you look up the King James, which is a more accurate translation, it says cloven tongues, which means that something was one and now began to divide. This is blowing my mind because we were divided and he just told us to become one. But he was one, and he's getting ready to divide. All right? Um, and, and watch this, because the glory and the grace of God can encounter an atmosphere corporately and individually at the same time. Woo. 
So God can have a corporate blessing, but he can have cloven tongues that are individual blessings. Give me Bible. I just gave you a scripture a moment ago. There's a crowd around Jesus, and then there comes a woman who was stuck in her house for over 12 years, and she hears... Because you always hear it before you see it. She hears that Jesus is coming by, and she touches the hem of his garment. Now, in order to touch the hem, you've got to get down low. Here's why you don't get your breakthrough. You're not low enough. Come on, get mad at me. We took the offering already. We're good. Um, The reason you don't get the breakthrough that God wants you to have is because you refuse to go low. You're still up here. You're still prideful. You're still boastful. You're still conceited. You're still egotistical. You still are unsubmitted. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, because you're your own. It got real quiet. We were shouting a minute ago when I was talking about frustration. I talk about submission. I said the S word, didn't I? And y'all got real quiet because we, calm down, Dell. You're preaching too hard. Um, Cloven tongues, fire come. Wait, let me jump back. The woman with the issue of blood, she gets down low, but not only uh, does she get down low, you have to remember, this is not the streets of Oakland. This is the streets of Israel. She's got dirt kicked in her face. She's got people kicking her. She's got to be on her hands and on her knees getting down Jesus, and we can't get you to even lift Well, you know, brother, that's just not my, uh, my worshipful disposition. You know, I'm more of a calm kind of guy. Until you get in traffic. Until your warriors are losing. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, just take a deep breath. We're going to make it through this one. Um, here, here's why she got her blessing. Because she was able to break the rules to go low enough to touch Jesus. Because here Jesus turns around and says, who touches me? And the disciples said, everybody's touching you. Because we're in a corporate atmosphere. God, everybody's going after me. Yeah, yeah, I know everybody's going after me. But there's only one who touched me in a way where it drew something from me. Have you ever been in a meeting and the Spirit of God is moving? And I mean, you're crying, you're weeping, you're tearing up. You manage to gather yourself because you don't want the uh, J. Choi to catch you on the camera. And so you clean your, your eyes and you wipe your nose because you don't want to be embarrassed. And you're just having an encounter with God. And you look to your left and the, the knucklehead on your left is on your, their Instagram. I'm the only one who's been in one of those meetings. I mean, they're checking their Facebook, they're emailing, and you're wondering, how is it? Just because you're in the presence of Jesus doesn't mean you want Jesus. Just because you're in the presence of Jesus doesn't mean you're touching Jesus. (laughs) In order to touch Jesus, you've got to do something that other folks are not willing to do. You've got to learn how to go low. How does this apply to Acts chapter 2? You've got 120 folks that are praying and have no idea what they're praying for while they're praying, but they start hearing the sound of a mighty rushing wind. They start seeing tongues like fire. And then, watch here. Here's the third phenomenon. They begin to speak in other tongues. And I'm going to deal with that in just a second. We're going to get out of here, and we're going to beat the Baptist to the lazy dog, all right? Watch this. Here's what happens. Not only do they hear, not only do they see, but now they begin to speak. They heard something they had never heard saw something they had never seen, and they began to speak something that they had never spoken. God began to speak to me this week and said, Dell, I'm about to change your language. Some of y'all are talking about, is he going to stop cussing? We'll see, but that's not what he was talking about. Um, <laughs> Eric, uh, he's working on me. Y'all pray for me. Um, here, here's what I mean. Watch this. The disciples have their language changed, and there's more to it, but let me just dip into this point real quick. The disciples have their language changed not because they went to therapy. 
their talk and conversation changed, not because they had pastoral counseling. It was because they had an encounter of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go to Collide long enough, you know that I'm going to advise you to have two therapists. <laughs> and if you can afford it, get a third. So this is not a knock against therapy. This is not a knock against counseling. This is to tell you there are some things that God can change that nobody else can change. And some of you, the reason why God wants to touch your tongue is because he wants to change how you talk. He wants to change how you talk about yourself. He wants you to change how you talk about your situation, how you talk about your children. No, let me help some of y'all because some of you keep using the wrong words and you're not finishing the sentence. You keep saying my kids aren't saved. That may be true at the word yet. <laughs> my kids aren't saved yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my business isn't going well yet. My ministry isn't growing yet. My marriage isn't good yet. God wants to change your language, but the way that he changes your language is by encounter of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he does is touch your hearing. I was in middle, I was in uh, elementary school and I had a friend Lamont and L L Lamont had a stu stuttering problem and one day he went to go get it fixed. I said, Lamont, what happened? He said, well, 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 they, they did some tests in my ear. And I was confused. Lamont, the problem's not in your ear. <laughs> what? The problem is in your tongue. But then after about a year, Chris, uh, Lamont went from stuttering to talking completely normal. And as I got older, I remembered the story. And so I started because I didn't go to college, but I went to Google. And I looked up and did a study, and I found out that when they want to fix your speech, they'll first fix your hearing. Because whatever you're speaking is a result of what you're hearing. Let me talk to the gossipers for a moment. The reason you think so low of everything around you is because of what you're hearing. And because you're hearing negativity, you're speaking negativity. You need in this season to get around some people who have the spirit of God enough to start speaking life where things look dead. No, things ain't perfect, but we're going to get it together. No, it's not looking right right now, but we're going to get it together. Stop talking about In this season, you got to get rude about your, your faith and about your walk with God. You're going to have to shut some stuff down. You're going to have to disconnect with some people because some of our talking is way too low. Woo. They begin to speak in other tongues. And LJ, come and, come and hang out with me and help me out because we're going home early tonight. Uh, the Bible says that after the Spirit of God falls in a way that they hear something, they see something, and then they speak something, they go out, and it says that they spoke in other tongues. Now, this is not glossolalia. Glossolalia is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14 with unknown tongues where there needs to be an interpretation. This is not that. This is another Greek word that I can't pronounce, but it basically means that they were all speaking a language that was understandable. It wasn't shakatamana ramaso. It wasn't a message in tongues. It was them by way of the Holy Spirit speaking, and when the Holy Spirit would speak through them, people understood their language. Here's the thing, it messed me up, Aunt, because I went back and the Lord told me, read it slow. Um, I said, that won't be hard. <laughs> um, so I read it again, and when I read it, Pastor Steve, I read it, it said, um, they were speaking in other tongues, and all of the different nine to ten cultures that were around heard in their own language these people speaking, watch this, go back home and read it for yourself, of the goodness of God. Pastor Steve, I've messed up because I preached this whole text 
and I said that they were speaking in tongues, and in their tongues, God was interpreting it, and they were evangelizing the crowd. Because that day, 3,000 people would get saved. But that doesn't happen until later on in chapter 2. Are y'all still with me? It doesn't happen until later on in chapter 2 when Peter begins to preach the gospel. And for all the people who think that you should preach the gospel without using words, phooey. I get it. I understand the sentiment. But the Bible says, how will they know unless they have a preacher? You're going to actually have to say something to your friends about Jesus. Y'all are real quiet. You're going to have to actually say something. Now watch this. They begin to speak in other tongues. And the Bible says that as they spoke in other tongues, that everybody in different nations and nationalities heard about the goodness of God in their own language. If I had more churchy people tonight who were willing to go there, this is the part where I would give real hype right here. Um, because I need you to imagine uh, Peter is in the upper room. So Peter starts speaking in tongues, and what the people hear is, God, I remember when you picked me up out of the water that I was sinking in far from a peaceful shore, and you put me back in the boat. I just want to say thank you. Yeah, Mary, Mary uh, Magdalene was in there, and she, she starts talking in tongues, and what comes out, what everybody understands is, uh, Lord, I thank you that I had seven demons, but you delivered me from all seven of the demons, and as a matter of fact, you didn't just deliver me. You let me be the first resurrection witness to ever exist in history. I just want to say thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, who was out there too, and she started praising God, and she started saying stuff like, God, I just thank you for the privilege of having me be the one who had immaculate conception. I just want to say thank you that I was only about 13 or 14, but you trusted me with the Savior of the world. See, the problem with some of us is that when the Spirit comes on us, we go back to our messiness, we go back to our pettiness, but I got something for you, that the Spirit of God ought to push you to a place of praise where you start walking around and start saying stuff like, he picked me up and he turned me around and he placed my feet on solid ground. Some of you got to start talking well I don't know how to evangelize and I don't know the four Roman road steps and I don't know all that stuff you know what you do know you know the same thing that the woman at the well in John chapter 4 knew the Bible says that she had had five husbands and the sixth one that she was with wouldn't do her the dignity of marrying her but she went because she found the seventh man and went back to her city and she didn't give a four-point sermon Teresa all she said was come see about a man who knows everything about me and still loves me he knows my history and he's not ashamed. He knows what I've been through and he still wraps me in his arms. Watch this. We're about to close. Watch this. They start praising God. I, I feel like hooping, but I don't have enough black folks to go there, so I'll hold back. Um, you, he starts praising God and when they praise God, here's what the Bible says. That folks uh, look at them and go, they drunk on that new wine. <laughs> That, uh, if my grandmother, she said, that liquor, <laughs> L-I-K-K-A, liquor, uh, they're drunk on that new one. Um, it's crazy to me that unbelievers, though mockingly, could see the spiritual inebriation on a people who had been with Jesus. Now, I've never, I've never been intoxicated uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about it. Uh, but I do know this, that uh, from what I'm told, just not my personal testimony, uh, but just what I heard, just don't, don't shoot your pastor. Um, what I've heard, Amanda, is that you can get inebriated to the point that you get loose lips. 
<laughs> I hear some testimonies in the room. All right. Uh, <laughs> don't say amen now. Watch. Watch this. Not only do you get loose lips, you start walking differently because you, you're trying to focus and keep yourself straight. Um, not only that, you start thinking differently. Your, your brain becomes a little cloudy. And they tell you not to drink and drive because when you get drunk, you become out of control. Now, I want to know, because here is the next level for Collide City Church. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit if you will desire to lose control. Come here, you little control freak, because I'm in the same boat with you. I like control. Oh, control is sexy to me. I love me some control. I mean, control can have on baggy sweats and a big t-shirt, and I'll still take control out on a date. I like control. I like being in control because when I was a kid, I didn't have control, and I got in trouble for stuff that I didn't get in control for. And so now as an adult, I'm looking for control. But here is the problem. The Spirit of God, the reason we don't have good theology on him is because the Bible says he does whatever he wants. <laughs> Y'all missed that part of the scripture. Yeah, I'm the Holy Spirit. Just, I, I just don't think the Holy Spirit will ever do that. Well, according to scripture... He does whatever he wants. And here's the problem. Some of us are so idolizing our dignity that we cannot have a spirit encounter. Well, I just don't believe the Holy Spirit would ever do that because that's just weird. And the Holy Spirit would just never make people do weird things or whatever. Really, he made a prophet uh, walk around naked for a whole year. Y'all don't like that part. Uh, he made another one eat off of human dung for a little bit. You want to talk about weird? When the Spirit of God starts moving, stuff gets weird. Yeah, sicky, sicky now. I found where I need to plant my feet for a moment. Because some of us will not surrender our dignity, and God will not surrender his spirit until you surrender your dignity. They are inebriated, praising God. God, I just thank you. Some of y'all came a little bit late, so you didn't hear it play for me real gently, but Maya was praying, and I love when Maya prays, and she she's praying. She just, it don't take her, like, that's how you know you saved, like, if Maya don't make it in, ain't none of us got help. Because um, uh, it took her about 30.2 seconds just to bring in the Holy Ghost. But as Maya begins to pray, all of a sudden you could tell it was hard to talk because something took over her. See, some of you have never experienced that where the Holy Spirit takes over you. There is a point in the inebriation of the Holy Spirit where you lose control. Have you ever lost God, I thank you because over 500,000 people died in America of COVID, but I wasn't one of them. God, I thank you that every six months, a bunch of churches close and we ought to close with the finances that we have, but we haven't closed. I just want to say thank you. God, I, I thank you that, that God, even with four people show up on Sunday, you still move. And I want to say, I just want to say thank you. Yeah, some of y'all don't know about this because I've got to thank you that last beyond Monday and Sunday. I, I've got to thank you that hits me on Tuesday in the cubicle and I've got to cover my mouth and run to the bathroom and have a Jesus moment to say, Lord, I just want to say thank you. I know everything's not where I thought it would be by now, but thank you. I know that my body is not healed like I want it to be, but thank you. I, I know my family's not united like I need it to be, but thank you. I know that things aren't growing like I want it to be, but thank you, God. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because if it had not been for your mercy, if it had not been for your grace, I'd be Jesus. I say thank you. I need somebody real quick to lift up your hands and say thank you. Come on, tell the Lord thank you. Lift up your hands and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the house. Thank
thank you for the car. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you that I can worship. Thank you that I'm delivered. Thank you that I'm set free. Everything's not working out, but thank you. Yeah, how come you got a praise like that? Because I've been to the upper room. I've had an encounter with him. I know I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. And I know my situation isn't good yet, but it's only because God isn't done yet. So I think I'm even in the process. I thank you that I'm confused, but I'm still here. I thank you that I'm all. Thank you, Jesus. And as they begin to praise God, Junior, the praise of the saints begins to marinate the hearts of the unbeliever so that when Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved that day. I got an evangelism strategy for you, Pastor Steve. He said, if I be lifted up, I feel like running. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. I remember I was a young, in my young 20s, I was had a little bit more energy and I was a little bit more wild and one day we took 21 days and we took a guitar and a cajon and we went around San Francisco and we went to different locations and all we did was for about two hours just begin to worship God and we thought we were just going to lift up the name of Jesus but Chris at every location that we went to at least five people would get saved and I didn't understand why they were getting saved until I realized that if you lift him up he'll draw him if you lift him up he'll draw him all right, some of you don't know the history of Collide, but before we were a church, we started off as a little youth group with 20 kids in 2010, and I called a couple of friends, and I said, hey, would you gather with me? We're just going to have a night where we come together and we worship, and we had a little sanctuary, and I thought 40 people would show up, and over 300 folks showed up, and Eddie James began to lead worship, and you can't be in an atmosphere with Eddie James and sit down, and we're standing there, and we're jumping, and we're spinning. So many people came that we had to open up the doors. Well, when we opened up the door five people walked into that sanctuary and gave their heart to the Lord because they heard a bunch of people singing and they wanted to know what is it all about for some of you who are believing family members to get saved just start creating an atmosphere of worship in your house Woo! I feel it already in the room for those of you who, who you can, you're working for a job and everybody's getting on your nerves if it's possible just turn on a little worship music and even if you can't turn it on put some headbuds in and just let the worship begin to flow and watch what begins to happen all of a sudden the hearts will begin to marinate because you can't lift him up without him drawing you can't lift him up without him healing you can't lift him up without him delivering you can't lift, I feel like running you can't lift him up without him setting people free visitors I'm sorry I don't usually get this excited on a Sunday but I'm I'm tired of waiting yeah it says those who wait on the Lord he will renew their strength I feel my strength renewed I'm ready for the next season and here's what the Lord says if you'll create an upper room I'll cause the wait to be over and what you thought would last for the next five and ten years I'll cause it to end even right now some of you who have been in limbo and you are just confused and have no clarity I promise you if you create an upper room he says I'll end the wait now here's where I'm finished 3,000 people Gina gets saved that day but you've got to understand that the day of Pentecost is not a day that started with the church uh, Pentecost 
was a feast, a Jewish feast. It was also called the Feast of Weeks because it was several weeks after Passover. So they just got creative and called it, let's call it the Feast of Weeks. And uh, watch this. It is the only feast where you're allowed to put leaven inside of bread when you make it. If you don't believe me, go home and study it for yourself. This is important because typically when God would tell them to make bread, he would tell them to leave the leaven out because leaven represents sin. Well, why would he tell them to put leaven in for the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost? Because Pentecost or the Feast thereof started in Moses' day. Moses goes up to the mountaintop and he starts talking to a burning bush. And he's looking at this burning bush and it's burning and it, Carolina won't stop burning. And that was the confusing thing. And I just, let me throw this out there for you. Some of you think that your burn is only going to last for a moment. God told me to tell you, you're going to burn and keep on burning. It wasn't unusual for mountaintop bushes to burn. It was just unusual for them to keep on burning. Yeah, they, you just can't stay on the mountaintop. Why not? Burning. And Moses comes down and he's got two tablets in his hand. And Aaron, his little assistant, who's supposed to be left in charge, he comes down and there's a golden calf. And Moses says, well, where did the golden calf, what, what are, what are y'all doing? And Aaron uh, did what a lot of y'all do when you're held accountable. He lied. <laughs> he said, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. We, me and the people, we were just hanging out and a fire started and just, I, it just, it popped out. <laughs> just, ta-da. Here's what God's response was in the Old Testament. Watch this. This is important. God says, okay, because of your sin, wrath needs to be applied. So that day, 3,000 men died because of their sin and the wrath of God. How many did I say died? Okay. The law is presented and 3,000 died. The Spirit is given. And 3,000 find eternal life. Because the law without the Spirit is death. But the Spirit is life. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? The Spirit of life. Some of you have been trying to figure out, how come these dead things won't come to life? It's because you need a breeze of the Holy Spirit on it. Why won't my family be resurrected? Just all you need, don't, don't beat yourself up. You're not a bad dad. You're not a bad mom. Just let the wind of the Holy Spirit begin to breeze over it. Yeah, yeah. We need old school testimonies. We don't get testimonies like this anymore where, where folks used to walk in at two in the morning from the club and they hear grandma praying up in the upper room saying, God, save them. It's because grandma's out there twerking. But we need some mothers and some fathers who are going to wrestle in the midnight hour and say, God, would you sabotage their plans until they get right with you? God, would you, would you just go after them with the Spirit of God? Stand on your feet tonight. Jesus. When we started off in worship, I just began, and I don't know where it came from, but now I understand why. I just began to sing life. The Lord told me to just sing life, and I began to sing life. And now I understand because God wants to pour out his spirit to give you life tonight. Some of you have been surviving, and that's, this is the last night you survive. This is the night you thrive. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to have all the answers, but he's going to cause you to thrive in this season. But here's what it requires. It requires an upper room experience.
But in order to have an upper room experience, you've got to be in the same room and you've got to be in the same accord. I'll finish with this story. I was telling them this this morning. I, I don't hunt. I'm a vegan now. And I know I'm the biggest vegan you've ever seen. I'm new. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you want to be a vegan with me, brother? Okay. <laughs> um, and, and I'm a vegan. But when I ate meat, I've never gone hunting for my meat. If hunting, I, it's maybe Safeway, Albertsons, or Lucky's. That's about as far as I'll hunt. Um, but I have some friends, and yes, they're white, and they hunt. And I have a friend, and he was hunting, and he said, Del, do you want to go out and hunt with me? I said, um, what time? He said, well, we're going to leave here about 4 in the morning. I said, God bless you. May the Lord watch between thee and me until we see each other again. I said, I don't even talk to the Lord at 4 in the morning. <laughs> he said, he came back. And I asked him, I said, how was it? And he had four hound dogs around them. And I looked at him, I got ready to pet him. And I said, uh, just to touch the ears. And y'all know I, I was scared of dogs. The Lord delivered me, by the way. I still don't like them, but I'm not scared of them. <laughs> and I went to touch the ears because hound dogs have floppy ears. And he said, don't, don't, don't touch them, don't touch them. I said, why not? He says, those are trained dogs. Those are not normal dogs. Those are dogs for hunting. I said, what does that mean? He says, there's four of them. So what happens is we go shooting and we'll shoot for a duck. And when we shoot for a duck, the four hounds are there to help me find where the duck is. Watch this, stick with me. And so what happens is once I shoot the duck, the dogs go out hunting for the duck. All four go hunting. One finds it. When the one finds it, let's imagine that the duck is right in front of me. The, the hound will pivot its feet and point its nose and it won't move and it'll point directly where it's at. Duck is right there. What happens to the other three dogs is that even though they don't see the duck, they see the dog that sees the duck. And they all get their bodies erect and they point in the same direction that the first dog pointed in. And what happens is the owner comes and because they're all pointing in the same direction, he goes and he grabs the reward. Why are you telling this story? Because I want God to do something big tonight. But it's not gonna happen if we don't point together. Yeah, that's why some of y'all hear Maya or Adrian's not here tonight and they'll give one of them old Baptist, well, yeah, glory. Whenever they do that, even if I'm not feeling it, I'll, I'll let out a shout or something in my spirit because they're seeing something that I'm not seeing, but I want to see what they're seeing. And if I align with what they're seeing, I'll be able to have what they have by pointing in the same direction. So I may not feel like lifting my hands, but it's all over brother so-and-so, so I'm going to lift my hands too. I don't feel like singing, but sister so-and-so is singing, so I'm going to go ahead and lift my voice. I'm going to go ahead and give God praise. I'm going to go ahead and thank him. I'm going to go and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. I will exalt the Lord. All over this room, lift your hands and begin to worship God. Lift your hands and begin to worship God. All over this room, lift up your voice. Lift up your hands and begin to worship God. Begin to worship God. Don't look at the stage. Don't look at the crowd. You just go after God yourself. Come on, press in. Press in. Andrew, hit the lights. Somebody press in. Just press in. Forget about the time for just a moment and press in. Who knows what God might do tonight? This might be the night your body gets healed. This might be the night your son gets delivered. This might be the night your marriage gets restored. Come on. Hey.
when they had fully come they were all in one place on one accord and there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind hey and there fell on them tongues of cloven fire hey and they all began to speak with other tongues and when they spoke with other tongues what came out was the goodness of the Lord I dare you to open up your mouth and begin to declare the goodness of God warfare right now your praise is making decisions you're not smart enough to make your praise is creating connections you didn't have the connections for your praise is opening up doors you didn't have keys for hey Come on, the wait is over. The holding pattern is over. Your praise is pushing you into your next season. Your praise is pushing you into breakthrough. Your praise is opening up doors and closing the wrong ones.